0: Hi everyone, this summer Zelda and I, that's Denise, will be posting minisodes. These minisodes are going to cover the usual murderers, but the difference is there was less for me to find on their family trees. So we hope you enjoy them because they are still very fascinating. Welcome to Murderous Roots, a podcast that explores the family history of killers. I'm Denise and with me is Zelda. Now, let's get started. Well, hi, everybody. This is Denise. And I'm Zelda. And welcome to What Murderous Roots. It's so good to be here.
1: <laughs> Yay. So, how have you been? Oh, my gosh. It's been a super busy week, but lots of fun times. So, um, yeah. the big thing was I bought a car. Woohoo. Woohoo. First time in a few years, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is like a hybrid and it's fancy and <laughs> like um, you can actually, it's kind of cool. It's an SUV type and you, mm-hmm. there's a button you push on the inside and like the tailgate goes up and you can also do it nice. from your remote. And then there's a button on the back and it's like all automatic and feels very spaceship you know? It's almost
0: as if you haven't had a car in a long time because that is not new tech.
1: <laughs> okay. The last <laughs> car I owned was a 2007 Taurus. So it's... okay, so that explains. Your... <laughs> Those are like horse cars. <laughs> Cause I mean, I have my minivan.
0: and. Uh-huh. You, we could have gotten the model that had that feature. Mm-hmm. We just didn't want to spend the extra $5,000 uh-huh. to just get that specific
1: feature. I get that. So mm-hmm. we were on a budget. Oh, yeah. No, I think I, I, you know, mortgaged my entire future buying this car, but I'm, I'm like, it's worth it. <laughs> I'm, I was in a YOLO moment, I guess, but, um, but I have something fun to share. You actually shared it with me first. So in one of the articles that you sent to me about our person we're talking about today um, was a little blurb from Sunday, May 3rd, 1925 in the Buffalo Times. In Hessville, Indiana, Miss Mary Agnes Shearer bobbed her hair without permission. So her mom shot her in the arm. Holy wow. I mean... Wow. Aren't there better ways to discipline than shooting somebody in the arm? I don't know. Maybe the hussy deserved it. Because, you know, <laughs> she bobbed her hair. Yeah. My good, decent women don't bob their hair. My goodness. Yeah, and
0: I, I just bobbed my child's hair. Um.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Stay away I from know. Mrs. Shearer because...
0: <laughs> wow. I mean, they were really hardcore about the haircuts back in the 20s. Can't show that
1: now. Exactly. I thought you'd get some humor out of that. How are you doing? I love that.
0: I'm doing pretty good. Kids are home for summer.
1: Oh, yay. And, you know,
0: (laughs) the battles that go in, they're in, and jealousies and all that. But, you know, so-and-so is playing with so-and-so, and and I don't get to play with them. And then who do I get to play with? I I am not your cruise director. (laughs) (laughs) You have bicycles, scooters, Mm -hmm. sidewalk chalk, books, toys. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yup.
1: Oh my gosh. God love all the parents, man. Cause they have had, it's been, you know, a lot of people had their kids home for most of this year anyway, while mm-hmm. they're trying to do like life stuff. And right. now the kids are home again and yeah, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling for blessed At
0: least, yeah, I was blessed at least to have the kids at school for a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted the hours were a little shorter than normal, um, but it was nice. And I enjoyed it. And I know there are some parents out there that didn't even get that. So
1: yeah.
0: hats off to you. And then I, I did learn something about myself through the last year, though. Huh. I am not meant to homeschool my children.
1: <laughs>
0: I am a former teacher and I can teach them, but I mentally I can't. No. Yeah. I, I need that, that little separation. Uh-huh. I mean, I've been a stay-at-home mom now for over 10 years. So yeah. I, I yeah, I need a break.
1: <laughs> I hear you. So hey, you want to talk about murder? You want a break? Sure. A refreshing talk about murder. Yeah, this is one I actually stumbled on when I was
0: researching Dr. A.J. Holmes in that episode. Uh-huh. And what was is one of A.J. Holmes' victims was Minnie Williams, mm-hmm. and so I stumbled on this article. I'm like, oh my gosh! And I wrote his name down so we could revisit it in the future. But, and this is why this is one of our mini and the reason it's small is because there's just not that much to research on his family. So, it's a little shorter and we'll have a little fun, but we are talking today about the, I think it's the demon of the Belfry,
1: mm-hmm. Theodore Durant. And are you ready for that? I'm so ready. I'm so ready. And, you know, usually I start, start off with the origin story. But for Theodore Durant, I'm declaring opposite day. We're going to talk about the murders first. So okay. the demon of the Belfry, as you called him, <laughs> did his dark deeds in San Francisco in 1895. So as you just pointed out, if you have a daughter, don't name her Minnie. And for the love of all that <laughs> is holy, definitely not Minnie Williams, because this is the yeah. second Minnie Williams we discussed who is a murder victim. Now, today's Minnie Williams was a nice church-going girl and 21 years old. She worked as a maid and was a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. On April thirteenth, 1895, which happened to be Holy Saturday, the day before Easter Sunday for people who, you know, might not know what Easter is, um, (laughs) three church ladies came into the church to decorate it for Easter, but instead came across the dead, naked body of Minnie Williams. who had been brutally assaulted and murdered and then stuffed into a cabinet in the library now that alone is enough to freak anyone out but another young woman church member had gone missing about eleven days before and that young woman blanche lamont a teacher who was a very close friend of minnie's had come to san francisco to continue her own education and she hadn't been seen in about eleven days so when the police got there they thought oh man we bet that other girl's body's here too and so after an exhaustive search finally forced open the inexplicably secured belfry door and found miss lamont's body at the very top also mutilated violated naked and obviously murdered unlike the seemingly messy and dishevelled state of minnie william's body though this one was placed very carefully in a manner that seemed consistent with how medical students prep bodies for dissection well immediately the police said we knew it we knew it it's that fucking theodore durant sometimes known as chester durant sometimes known as william henry theodore durant he did this all we have is circumstantial evidence but by god that will be enough i mean it was 1895 of course it was enough (laughs) right um so Obviously, there were no witnesses to the murders, and Durant protested his innocence until the day he was executed by hanging. And a couple of other people along the way confessed, but their confessions weren't really taken too seriously. So let's take a gander at the evidence. So Theodore Durant was a bit of a choir boy, really, we thought. He was a medical student, a member of the Air Signal Corps, a dedicated volunteer at the church, and seemingly betrothed-ish to Blanche Lamont. They were seen together the very last time anyone saw Blanche. When Blanche went missing, he seemed utterly beside himself, brushed off whenever anyone worried she might have been murdered, and made cryptic statements that perhaps she had been lured into prostitution, as church-going teachers often are. Well, yeah, you know, the repressed. Exactly. (laughs) Now, a little bit of background. Durant's family moved to San Francisco when he, I think he was about eight. Right. Mm-hmm. And and he displayed, they say, signs of manic depressive tendencies, even as a young youngster. As he grew into manhood, a disturbing rumor started circulating among San Francisco's sex workers. A young man named Theodore enjoyed murdering birds during sex and spreading the bird's blood on his body. Well, oh, that's so normal. Right? Yeah. Is, is that weird? Is yeah. that a strange one? Ooh. So he kept the company of a few young women at the Emanuel Baptist Church on Bartlett Street in the Mission Neighborhood. Later, some would come forward to admit he'd made lewd propositions to them. So lewd that the ladies kept silent for fear their fathers or brothers might actually kill him. He even lured one young lady into that same library where Minnie Williams' body was found and then stripped off his clothes. As one would do. Exactly. Exactly. How's that, again, abnormal? No, not at all. Um, After Blanche disappeared, but before her body was found, Durant tried to sell a ring of hers. Now, the pawnbroker refused it because it wasn't worth very much money. And then, oddly, all three rings owned by Blanche and with her at the time of her death, or at the time of her disappearance, Mm -hmm. excuse me, were mailed from a mysterious person to her aunt. Mm -hmm. Oh, and did I mention... Durant had been seen coming down from the belfry the very day Blanche disappeared.
0: Well, that that doesn't help this case, does it?
1: Not, not much, no. So Minnie Williams was also last seen in his presence and also at the very church where her body was found. Horse hair on Minnie Williams' body was traced back to a horse Durant often rode. Her purse was found in Durant's overcoat pocket when his home was searched. Ooh. Fingernail marks on both women's necks were the same pattern as Durant's and also match those of an unsolved murder, that of Eugene Ware, a friend of Durant's who'd been murdered the year before. Ooh. Now, stop a moment and think, huh, th- how many people do you know who've been murdered? Like close friends who've been murdered? I only know of one person. Okay. So don't you think it's kind of weird yeah. that this guy is close to three people? who have all been murdered within a year of each other. Oh, yeah. Circumstantial, but still. You weren't expecting my one, were you? I Actually, I was expecting a couple more than that. Oh. <laughs> you, know, you know people. I do know people, um, but not that well. <laughs> um, Well, now Durant did have an alibi. He said he was in class when those murders supposedly took place. And the attendance records actually bolstered that. But... He had done the same thing that students have done since time immemorial. He got his friends to say present when his name came up in roll call. Oh, and when that was discovered and they asked his students about the fellow students about it, they were all like, oh, yeah, we totally did that. He wasn't really there, you know, because obviously they didn't want their fellow student to get away with literal murder. Right. Right. an odd little factoid he converted to catholicism before his death which you know is irrelevant to the fact he was a murderer but i do find kind of interesting
0: yeah in fact wasn't there There was a thought that maybe because he converted he'd actually confess Mm -hmm. but he didn't
1: yeah he did not confess publicly if he confessed to a priest obviously the priest can't tell anyone and we wouldn't know. and one of the articles made quite a meal out of that one you know if he had confessed it is locked in the breast of father Laporte or whatever the guy's <laughs> name was. Um, anyway, I have to say it was a joy reading some of these articles because they're so florid, yes, you know, the writing, and they make ev- the yes. And they make every last detail so dramatic, mm-hmm. you know, his breakfast was from ham. That was from pigs. That was from, I'm like, it was really funny. Um, <laughs> And so interestingly, though, he was prosecuted only for the murder of Minnie Williams because they felt that was the stronger case. Mm -hmm. He was convicted handily. Go figure. Mm -hmm. Um, Public sentiment was really against him at the time. And apparently they had to interview literally thousands of people before they found 12 that said they could be impartial. Oh, wow. Which, um were those 12 lying? We'll never know. They might have just given up. We're like, we're so tired of talking to people. We just started well, yeah, care. I mean, this
0: was national news. They yeah. considered it the crime of the century, which H.H. Mm-hmm. H. Holmes was about the same time.
1: So, mm-hmm. yeah, it had only been a couple years before with H.H. H. Holmes. And actually, H.H. H. Holmes was convicted in like the, in 95, wasn't he? Yeah. So after yeah.
0: that he, well, not after him, but after this crime. He was convicted, yeah. so.
1: So, eventually, he was executed by hanging on January 7th, 1898, at San Quentin Prison. And that is the rough draft, the story, <laughs> the big details of Theodore Durant, the demon of the Belfry.
0: Yeah, and he was supposed to be hung, like, months and years mm-hmm. before, but he yeah. went through appeals to, and got uh-huh. it pushed off for a long time. Yep. Well, let's talk about his family. And I don't have a ton on his family because there just wasn't that much. But we'll start with his dad, who was William Allen Durant, and he was born in March 1851 in Toronto. Um, He would marry Isabella Matilda Hutchinson in June 1870 in York, Ontario, which is now a suburb of Toronto. But okay. I'm not sure if it would have been... Like going out of town (laughs) compared to now. She was two years his junior, and the daughter of Thomas and Isa Hutchinson. Now, their first child was William in eighteen seventy-one. Two years later, they had daughter Beulah Ma, and in eighteen seventy-six, they had Edward Thomas. Sadly, Edward would die at three and a half weeks of infantile convulsions. Mm. So the family stayed in York until 1879 when William, who was a shoemaker by trade, decided to move to San Francisco with his family. And this would have been when Theodore was eight. I called him William earlier, but I meant Theodore. <laughs> he has so many names, it's hard not he to do it. Yeah. And they would become naturalized U.S. citizens in August 1891. So oh, nice just four years before the crimes. Um, the Durant family made the most of their time in San Francisco. They did not come poor. They were not some of those immigrants that come across with nothing on their backs. They had some funds, and they made use of that. So William and Isabella even took part in the Canadian Association. There's a group of other Canadian citizens who had come to the United States. And William was actually the president of the group by 1887. Ah. Yeah. In the San Francisco Examiner on November 7th, 1887... Yeah, on November 7th, 1887, I found the following. The Canadian Association was very pleasantly entertained by President and Mrs. Durant at their residence, 305 Bell Street, last Tuesday evening, November 1st. A delightful evening was spent. Miss Wiley and Miss Maud Durant rendered some instrumental selections in admirable style. The songs by G.W. Camp were a pleasant feature of the evening's amusement. The whole affair was highly successful. So fun. Yeah. Now, Theodore was active in his own interest, including racing with the Bay City Wheelmen. Oh, that's fun. In 1889. Yeah. Now, what or who were the Bay City Wheelmen? Well, it was a San Francisco bicycling organization that started in September 1884 with 13 cyclists. Their first meeting was held at the residence of Edward Morrig the organization would grow to have a great deal of influence in cycling long-term, helping to make cycling more of a sport than just a pastime. How fun. Yeah, they, they would hold races and put post results, and I found a listing of a race, and Theodore was actually a part of a race.
1: Oh, how fun.
0: And Maude actually was involved in a smaller cycle club associated with the Bay City Wheelmen in 1891.
1: Nice. And Maud is his sister. Maud's his clarify. sister, yes. Okay.
0: In May 1891, both Theodore and Maud would graduate from Codswell Polytechnical College. At least that's what it was called. It was called a college, but it wasn't quite. In fact, it was Codswell's first commencement, and it had 34 graduates. Oh, wow. Now, I find it interesting that they're graduating at the same time, even though they're about 18 months to two years apart. Now, Codswell still exists, but under a different name. Ooh. We'll get there in a second. In 1887, it was founded as the first technical training institution in the West, a private college now called the University of Silicon Valley that's located <laughs> in San Jose. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and today it has 600 students. So it's a very small private college, mm-hmm. but it didn't start as a higher ed institution like it is today. It was founded by Henry D. Codswell as a high school that offered technical classes for boys and business classes for girls, offering courses in industrial design, carpentry, engineering, art, typewriting, dressmaking, and more. Henry Codswell was a dentist by trade and started the college in the Mission District of San Francisco, which is where they lived. And it was on the southeast corner of Folsom and 26th Streets. Wasn't until 1930 that it became a technical college, an institution of higher education. The campus would move to its current location around 1984, I believe, in San Jose. So but it kept growing and got into new buildings. Here's a note on Cogswell. He was an activist in the temperance movement who believed that if everyone had access to cool, clear drinking water, they would not drink alcohol.
1: Oh, those sweet summer children. I know.
0: But you know, this is a time we're coming across Finding cool, clean drinking water wasn't an everyday thing like we have today. So I can kind of see that delusion in his head working. Mm -hmm. But in fact, he helped design elaborate water fountains that ended up in Washington, D.C., New York City, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Boston, Buffalo, and many more places. Crazy. The fountains were met with some scorn from some at a lot of locations these were the anti-temperance people who were not thrilled <laughs> by this <laughs> and a lot were torn down by the people they were not happy with it they tore them down but there are the still Luddites. yeah there are still some that exist um i believe there's at least one in washington dc and one in san francisco and there might oh. be a few more soon after the arrest of theodore his sister maud left san francisco and we'll come back to her in a bit and explain where she went and what she did Even William would change careers, which that's what I found very interesting. Sometime between 1903 and 1907, he stopped making shoes. He must have gone back to school because by 1907, he was listed in the San Francisco Directory as an optometrist, Dr. William Durant.
1: Oh, my goodness! So his dad went back to school.
0: Yeah. Theodore's dad went to school. That's really cool. Good on him. In June 1908, he and Isabella lived in Berlin where I believe Isabella probably died around 1909 at age 56. Or she might have died in England. I'm not positive where she died I could not find a death record. William would return to the States in March 1910 on the SS Mauritania.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes.
0: And arriving in New York City, then returning to San Francisco. I'd like to note that I found no death record for Isabella, like I just said. So I'm theorizing based on the information I did find which is first, a passport application, December 1907, indicating plans to be gone for two years. Second, William returning without Isabella. And third, William listed as a widow in the 1910 census in April. Yeah, That all leads me to believe that Isabella had died. And I, I'm saying this because people on their family trees or this family think that she died in 1930. Uh. And I think I know why they're doing this. Now, William and Isabella changed their last name to his middle name. Not all the time. It was very inconsistent. But he was known as, you know, William and Isabella Allen. And I did find that Isabella Allen, he died in 1930. Uh. But I traced that Isabella, and she was five years older and from Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So it could not be Isabella Durant. And I also think she died in 1909 because I found a ship manifest for the pair in December 1909 on the Mauritania coming back to New York City. But their names have been crossed out, like it was a last minute change of plans.
1: Oh, so, interesting. So they never boarded
0: the ship. Right. And then he came a few months later and he did board it. Okay. So it makes me believe that she got yeah. sick mm-hmm. and they had to stay and then she passed away. Yeah. So that's my belief.
1: I think that that seems logical.
0: Now, while we're talking about Isabella, she never believed her son committed the murders, ever. She, she's one of those moms that you love. <laughs> she fully believed in him. After a visit with him in June 1897, she was quoted as saying, My son will not break down. An innocent person does not break down, and my poor child will not unless his health gives way. But he is hopeful, and so am I. Wow. Now, both parents visit him often at San Quentin. In fact, this became cause for articles in the papers. Really? Yeah. I mean, they talked on this a lot. One such article was from the San Francisco Call on June 3rd, 1897. The article was, Afraid of the mother. Warden Hale feels he is carrying a heavy burden these days. Both father and mother, in the despair of saving their unfortunate son, might the last moment make some supremely tragic effort to rob him of the disgrace of a felon's death. Mrs. Durant, in the last few days of her stricken motherhood, is an object of fear as well as pity. The warden of San Quentin is afraid of her. Her express threat to witness the execution would lend such a dramatic effect to the closing scenes in the life of the great criminal that he fears to contemplate it. Wow. It is her sex, in this instance, that increases the peculiar... perplexity of the warden Hmm. while her son is pacing up and down the cage of death the mother is planning and hoping to save him if not from death at least from death at the hands of the hangman wow talk about that florid language right there yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i and this this was uh one of the dates he was supposed to be executed it got pushed off so they they were worried that she was going to come and try to kill him before he got killed by the noose i mean it's the only thing I can wow. think of. They really didn't want her to attend because you know a mother should not attend something like that.
1: Oh, you know delicate sensibility. Oh yeah,
0: because women are so <laughs> delicate and weak. We're okay all- hey, as long as they believe that we don't get convicted. So go for it. <laughs> True. I mean, we're the ones who push big old babies out of ourselves. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> father attended the execution, but not the mother. In the end. And they were not thrilled that the father attended. Like, that was wrong, that he should be there. Wow. And I can see not wanting to see your child die in that way. But I can see not wanting to, mi- <laughs> you know, like... Wanting- so funny,
1: I can see not wanting to see your child die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I hope I, I hope to avoid that forever. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I can see not wanting to go to your child
0: execution. Yeah. I get that. But at the same time, I get wanting to be there. Mm
1: -hmm. To be there for your kids. Yeah. So, you know, as um, Helen Prejean put it, Sister Helen Prejean, Mm -hmm. so that they can look into eyes that love them.
0: Oh, I like that. No matter what. I love her. She's awesome. She really is. One other quick note. As I mentioned before, they had changed their names. Mm -hmm. And so when William, the father, died in 1917 at the age of 66, it was Dr. William Allen dies. He used to be known as William Durant.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And his death record in, on the California Death Index is listed as William Allen as well. Wow. Now, William's parents were Thomas Durant and Mary Pearson, both from England, born around 1830. I'm not sure when they married, but if I had to guess, I'd say likely around 1849. Mm-hmm. I did find the family in the 1861 census of Canada, living in York. Thomas worked as a shoemaker, like his son would and the family were members of the Church of England. William was their oldest of five children, the others being Anne-Marie, Thomas, Hannah, and Mary. As far as I can tell, William was the only one to leave York ever. Hmm. His siblings stayed there. Now, that's all I have on William's family or Isabella's family.
1: Like I said, there wasn't much. Wow. I'm actually surprised because... Usually, I mean, with people who are well off, they have those records. But I guess being from Canada, the records might be a little harder to get.
0: And and then there's a few people with that same name. And it just, when you get into a different country, I'm not as good at navigating some of the other stuff. So I ran into not being able to find much. Uh But I I mean, I looked at the siblings
1: and stuff. There just wasn't any interesting stories to share there. So was there? I couldn't find anything. Did you find anything about what their childhood was like? Because, you know, we're trying to find, like, reasons. How do these monsters come to be, mm-hmm. right? And I just couldn't find anything that made any logical sense. Well, neither you know? did I.
0: Because, I mean, what I... The closest I got is that they were being educated. They were mm-hmm. actively involved with their peers. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, about I it. Just,
1: yeah. The and, and, only
0: thing I, I got was that Theodore got really into the church Mm -hmm. that very attracted to it was a sunday school teacher was Mm -hmm. doing all this and i don't think his sister was the same way at all
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: but we'll learn a little bit more about her here next but or a lot Mm -hmm. more about her because that's a good portion of this (laughs) well and i was going to say his sister sounds Fascinating. Okay, well I told you this before. I think if you were anybody in a past life, it might have been Maud Allen. <laughs> I'll take that, yeah. Um, cool with that. she was fabulous in so many different ways. So we're gonna talk about Theodore's sister Maud, who she made a name for her own self. And I, I just called her Maud Allen. I mean she was Maud Durant, but like her parents, she changed the name after the crimes of her brother now Maud left before theodore's arrest she actually left in february 1895 apparently this caused a bit of a buzz in san francisco later on really not because she was gone but rather due to the hurt that she stayed gone and she didn't come back for the trial or for anything involving her brother oh interesting and was she not shown as being supportive enough? I of think that her there were some questions about it, but what comes out is that her parents told her not to come. Okay. That there was nothing she could do. Now mm-hmm. she was very close with her brother. And from what I understand, it really kinda tore her up that he was there and she wasn't but it costs a lot to come back. Oh my god, yeah. So why did she leave though? Well, she left to study music. Apparently she was naturally gifted at the piano. And she after she finished at Codswell, she gave music lessons. She was studying piano. And she left in February 1895 to attend the Hochschule für Music in Berlin. According to her father, Maude saved up $1,000. Oh my
1: God, that's like serious money. Yeah,
0: that's $32,000 today. I looked it up. Oh. Giving music lessons in order to go. So she spent, like, from the time she finished school in 1891 to 1895, she was working and saving. Good girl. Her family had some money, but they weren't necessarily wealthy either, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think they were kind of middle class Mm -hmm. because they didn't have any servants living in the home, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. While she was in Berlin, she continued to give lessons and even earned some money on a patent for a corset waist she invented. Oh, my gosh. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. I knew you would like that. Good on her. Now, the whole time she was there, her family discouraged her from returning. But Maud did write the governor asking for clemency on her brother's behalf. And this letter got published in the paper. Oh, my goodness. Clearly, it did not work, but she tried. After Theodore's execution, Maud never recovered hmm. and found herself unable to play music anymore. So she goes there to play music, and she's, by all accounts, brilliant pianist. Yeah. And she gave it all up. Wow. Soon after, in needing money while still in Europe, Maud illustrated an encyclopedia for women in Germany called the Illustrierte Conversation Lexicon der Frau, or the Illustrated Female Conversational Dictionary. Interesting. Now, if true, she was an amazing artist, as the illustrations are beautiful. I googled the book because I was trying to see if I could look through it. And there are people selling it on eBay and such, and they have pictures of some of the illustrations. I'm wow. sure she's not the only illustrator for the books, because I think it came in several volumes, but she did work on it. That's so um, cool. So feel free to Google it, and you can find the images. Soon after, Maud began dancing. And she even got compared later on to Isabella Duncan. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Isabella Duncan was not thrilled with her. (laughs) I think there was some professional rivalry because Maude was not, like, formally trained Mm -hmm. dancer.
1: Yeah.
0: She made her professional debut in Vienna in 1903, dancing to Mendelssohn's Spring Song, Chopin's Funeral
1: March, and Rubinstein's Vals Caprice. Interesting. Now, when we're talking about her being a dancer, was she sort of like an interpretive dancer? Yeah, a modern dancer. Okay, so that's really interesting, because that was like, becoming super popular back then. And in a way, it almost became a trope. You know, like, uh, the young women, you know, they're off finding themselves doing these crazy new agey things like (laughs) lyrical dancing, you know, so Mm -hmm. that's really fun. And she was it, making money at it. I mean, well, they were like paying did. her for that. And she made her That's own awesome. costumes. Oh, see, she's amazing. I love her. Mm-hmm. I'm glad she was not murdering anybody.
0: Yeah, me too. Then in 1906, Maude Allen, who used her father's middle name as her last, became an international sensation with her production, Vision of Salome. It was a looser interpretation of Oscar Wilde's play, Salome. Wow. Now, it was her dance of the seven veils
1: that would lead to her notoriety. Hold the phone! Yes. Did, did she make the dance of the seven veils? The, is that like how it became I, popular? I, I'm not sure. I couldn't get a whole grasp because I'm not sure what her
0: dance actually looked like versus.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm going to look that up. Okay.
0: <laughs> the show premiered in Vienna, but would soon be performed in England. 1907 into 1908 through 1908, she had 250 performances in the UK. Wow. Including one for King Edward the Seventh in September 1907. Wow. So I can't wait to see what you find out though.
1: Wow. That's okay. So that would have been our Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth, not ours, like, but I mean like currently life day. That would have been her dad? Or her grandfather. Her grandfather. grandfather. Okay. Because her dad was King George. Now how curious! Okay, so it's referred to the dance of seven bales. Of course, mm-hmm. it's referred to in the Bible because of it was the the daughter of King Herod. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, she she's the one. That's the one where she danced so beautifully. He said, "You can have anything in the kingdom you want." She said, "I want John's head on the platter." And yes. he's like, "Here you are."
0: And in the dance, she had the head on the platter. By the way,
1: oh, that's curious. They had a papier-mâché head of John. That's so curious, but it was not known as it's not known as the dance of the seven bales there because that doesn't occur. by I mean, nobody says anything about seven bales. It's Oscar Wilde yeah. who makes it famous because that the, the idea that Salome's dance involves seven bales originates with his play Salome. And I find that so fascinating because I am looking through this article to see if they actually mention Maude as one of the original dancers. I mean,
0: I would think it was because this was, uh, nobody had done this before uh-huh. and it, it caused just the head of John being there and her holding it and dancing with it at some point uh-huh. was enough to have people going,
1: <gasps> they have a picture of Salome as portrayed by Maud Allen with the head of John the Baptist after her dance at the seven veils. So she's the person, yeah. she's the one who did it. Yep. Oh my god, you broke my brain!
0: And by the way, check your email. I have pictures of Maude that I sent you really quick before we started, so you can see what she looks like, oh,
1: and they'll be on the favorite. website, of course. <laughs> oh my god, because you know, okay, so I yeah used to do belly dance back in the day, mm-hmm. and this is one of the. I mean, that whole. I mean, there's like. Lots of troublesome things about belly dance with appropriation and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, and particularly that era, which, it, you know, some people kind of tie back, you know, American belly dancing to a lot of things that were going on, you know, the, that was coming up through there, right. through that period. But it, I, my favorite teacher was a woman in St. Louis, and her belly dance school is called Simone Seventh Bale. Oh, cool. And she was amazing. And anyway, I just, you have delighted me so much. I knew you were going to love this section. This might be my favorite episode now. I'm just saying. <laughs> I th- the only thing that could top it is if there's a postmaster. No postmaster. This okay. Time. Well, still pretty damn good. So. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, eventually, she did come to the United States and tour here. Not every town was welcoming, though. And mm-hmm. on her world tour, some, like the city of Manchester in England, thought her dances too lewd and risque.
1: Oh my. Well, uh, I mean, she's showing you know, her belly a little bit I there. was going to say, some of those, you know, those are some new moves to these people. Yes. <laughs> the San Francisco
0: Examiner devoted a whole page on July 12th, 1908, asking, is it or isn't it indecent?
1: Oh, how funny.
0: Yes. Part of the scandal was the costume showing skin, <laughs> and, including her belly. I mean, it was kind of covered, but kind of oh. not. I mean, it had this, like
1: eating. This was the WAP of the day. Yes, it it really was. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other
0: scandalous thing was that she was dancing with bare feet. (gasps) She showed her ankle? She showed her toes. (gasps) Now I'm scandalized. Yeah, I mean, you should be. (sighs) It was also in 1908 when she released a book, My Life and Dancing. And I, I read through part of it. And it's just... I was hoping for information on her family there's no she just kind of talked she talks a little bit about her childhood and how she got lessons and they you know but there was nothing in depth where you could really go get a grasp mm-hmm. of it it's kind mm-hmm. of a flighty type of book I yeah say yeah over the next several years she would travel the world even going to calcutta and at first in, the Indian government didn't want her there, but eventually they came to, and she did dance in Calcutta in 1915. Oh. She even starred in a silent film called *The Rug Maker's Daughter*, and it's one oh. of these lost ones. I I saw, or I was listening to a different podcast. I don't remember which one it was now. They're talking about how there was a time several years ago where uh, there was a fire where these silent films were all stored and they all like, oh, yeah. burned up. Mm-hmm. And what it was is what they were made out of. Just
1: yeah, The celluloid just goes up like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So it, that was
1: probably one of them. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, that was a pretty famous fire yeah. that happened. Because, we. I mean, just so much history was lost. I probably heard it at the
0: time, but it's one of those that got shoved at the back of my brain. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> then in 1918, British MP, the, or MP is Member of Parliament, Noel Pemberton-Billing, published an article titled the cult of the clitoris I have no words for that yeah it seems that Billing was a right winger like pull-on crazy conspiracy theory how far, did he even, right. how did
1: he even find a copy of it right <laughs> he didn't know where that was no exactly yeah
0: mm-hmm. and he actually believed that Germany was being under the control of homosexuals and that's what started World War
1: one Oh, my God. World War One would have it been so much more fabulous. Right? That's he, so...
0: He clearly beautiful. hadn't spent time with anybody who was what gay or lesbian.
1: You know, now that I think about it, maybe they had a map to find the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. that's gonna, I mean, seriously, the cult of the clitoris is... I, I want to get a tattoo or something like that. Yeah. But that's just crazy. I love and, it.
0: And, and for that to be the title of an article that gets published... Mm-hmm.
1: It's just, Uh that would have been a scandal enough, you would have thought. You know what's interesting? So, was it written as a medical text, or was it just a popular book? No, it wasn't even
0: a book. It was an article in a paper. I think it was called The Vigilante or something. In fact, okay, Billing thought a black book existed with the name of 47,000 Brits, men and women, being blackmailed by Germany.
1: Oh, my God. This is Q's grandfather.
0: The article further implied that Maud was responsible for collecting many of the names throughout private performances of Salome. Ah. It went further in the Times from London on May 30th, 1918, meaning that the said Maud Allen was a lewd, unchaste, and immoral woman and was about to give private performances of an obscene and indecent character so designed as to foster and encourage unnatural practices among women and that Mm -hmm. Maude Allen associated herself with persons addicted to unnatural practices.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, like speaking her mind and wanting to vote.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, he was basically saying that she was gay.
1: Well, no, I mean, I did catch that part, but I was just like, yeah, and he, they, that's what they like to think when women aren't into them. And they don't oh, stop to true. think like, hey, maybe it's actually you. That's <laughs> true. You are spot on. And honestly, I hope she was. You know, God love her. Go out and live your life, right? Well, I'll tell you in a minute if she was or wasn't. Oh, we know this. Yes, we do. How curious. So Maude sued Billy
0: when this article came out. She went to her solicitor or her lawyer, said, what can we do about this? And it went to trial, and the Times in London covered the testimony. Of course, the defense outed Maude's real name. And I'm going to read part of the testimony from the trial, because it's really interesting. And this is from that same article from the Times I'm, where I mentioned that statement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Mr. Billing, it was he's the one who was cross-examining the witnesses, so he did that himself. You are Maud Allen, he asked, and Ms. Allen replied, Yes. Mr. Billing, is that the only name you have ever held? No. What is your name? Maud Allen Durant. Look at that book. And he hands her this thick book. Will you tell me if the reference in page 122 is you? Yes. Now turn to the other page, which is marked. Is that a photograph of your brother? Maud goes, My lord, I ask if this has anything to do with this case. oh wow Uh mr billing i'm reluctantly obliged her attorney stands up reluctantly obliged (laughs) mr justice starling so he was the judge in the case looks at the book he's looking at the book he goes i see there's a page of photographs in this book and you wish to ask whether one of them is the witness's brother mr billing are you bound to ask this question mr billing i deeply regret it my lord but i shall have to call evidence to prove the exact influence That case has to bear generally on sexual perversion. Oh my God. Yeah. Which case? Mr. Billing, the case referred to in that book, I shall have to call evidence that the vices referred to in that book are hereditary. (gasps) Mm -hmm. And that in some cases, the victims give expression at great personal risk to their vices, which culminate in some cases in their execution for murder. I shall have to bring evidence that in many other cases, pantomime is used by people who lack courage or are not sufficiently debased to take the risk of the actual practice of the crimes in real life. And I shall have to satisfy the jury that in this case, the passion for the head of John the Baptist is a clear case of this practice.
1: Oh my God.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So then the judge wow. asks, yeah, it's bad." And then the judge asks, and that is why you say it is absolutely necessary for you to go into some question connected with Miss Allen's family. Her attorney goes, may I see the book it is entirely new to me. Nothing of this kind was suggested.
1: Wow. And apparently
0: in England at this time, especially the defendant wasn't bound to give him notice of anything. Right. Right. And I think that's here in the U.S. too.
1: Oh, the prosecutor wasn't yeah. bound to give the defendant
0: notice. No, this is. Well, that's true. it. Now, wait.
1: It,
0: this wasn't a, this wasn't a criminal. Th- act. This was a lawsuit. Okay. So, yeah. And her attorney further goes after looking at the book. I think this is a very cruel and undeserved attack on this lady. The judge responds, "It is not a question whether it is cruel and undeserved. The question is whether you have any legal objection." So he goes only that what happened to Miss Allen's brother has no conceivable bearing on this case. The judge. Well, you have heard the defendant's contention that this particular form of vice is hereditary, that he is going to call evidence to show it. I cannot exclude this question on any legal grounds that I can think of. Although Mr. Billing must understand that it is a question that may have terrible consequences for the witness, and if the jury is against him, some of those consequences may eventually recoil on himself. So, of course, Mr. Billing goes on. You are the sister of the man whose photograph you have seen? I am. What is his name? Mr. Billing then says, "William Henry Theodore Durant, was your brother executed in San Francisco for murdering two young girls and outraging them?" Miss Allen to the judge, I do not know whether that question is absolutely admissible in its entirety.
1: Really quick, I just want to add: um, when he says outraging them, our listeners might not know that doesn't mean he upset them; it means he oh, yeah.
0: them. Very good point. Yeah, they just talked in a way to. Yeah, how they talk back a little different.
1: The delicate sensibility.
0: Yes. Mr. Billing, was your brother executed in San Francisco? Yes. For what crime? You have said what the crime was. The judge asked for murder? Yes. Of two young girls? Yes. And outraging them after death? That, I believe, is a false statement. Mr. Billing, were the bodies found in the belfry of a church? Ms. Allen, I do not know. So wow. then they discuss other things here and there. And about her dancing and then they go on and he's gonna make some nuances here it's just this is so fascinating it says you made a great social success at the palace theater and this is in london yes you moved in the highest social circle there i had the honor of invitation to many of the highest homes did you ever go to 10 downing street and this is the home of the prime minister i had that honor did you ever dance there i did not quite sure Oh, positive. Did you meet Mrs. Asquith there? Why, most naturally, when I was her guest. Did you ever meet her anywhere else? Oh, yes. Has she ever been in your dressing room at the palace? No. Never? Never. You would recognize her, of course. I have eyes. The judge, I think, Mr. Billing, you must tell how it is necessary to this case that you should introduce the name of any third person. And he kind of gets chastised that he... He needs to be prepared to call Mrs. Asquith, mm-hmm. too. Now, just so you know, and the listeners know, Mrs. Asquith was the former wife. Well, not the former wife, but she was the wife of the former prime minister of England.
1: Ah, okay. I'm glad you explained that.
0: Yeah. Now, it turns out that he believed, and this is why he was bringing this up, like, did she ever come to your dressing room and all that, is that he was under the belief that Maude was having an affair with mrs asquith huh so he was trying to get her to say that she was having an affair with her
1: wow and so apparently she wasn't it was just one of those dirty rumors we don't know that one for sure
0: okay i mean
1: not dirty in the sense that it's a lesbian relationship oh no 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 but you know just that you know they're trying to make her life as salacious as possible
0: exactly and back then that was considered a crime
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so it would have been really bad so it comes out that if he wanted to be sued, he put that in the article about Maude on purpose because he wanted her to sue him so he could ruin Maude Allen, as well as others in government, including the Asquiths and anybody else who was opposed, who supported ending World War I at that time. Wow. This was all politics. Wow. But it had an impact on her life,
1: mm-hmm. but he, I'm didn't sure it did. he didn't care.
0: He didn't care because she's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, wow. that's definitely. So he used his defense to make a case against the government as well as a group referred to as the unseen hand. Oh my gosh! Uh, what was believed to be the secret society, a group of pro-German influence and part of his conspiracy to end the war. You know, it sounds wow. like the deep state. The unseen hand would be like equivalent mm-hmm. to the deep state. Yeah. During the trial, Maude was not only accused of homosexuality, but also necrophilia. Oh, my gosh. And billing was found not guilty. Wow. Yeah. And there were quite a few people who were upset by that finding. I can imagine. But, well, all
1: those people in the deep state. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Now, Maud's career was never quite the same after that although she continued dancing and even maintained a residence in London at the Holford House at Regent's Park from 1920 to 1940. It was after the trial that Maude began a long-term romantic relationship with her secretary, Verna Aldrich.
1: She was. So she found love in the end.
0: Yes, until at least 1938. During World War II, Maude would settle in Los Angeles, where she would live the remainder of her days. She was 84 at her death in October 1956. And from what I understand, she was also broke at the time.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. But what an
0: adventurous life. Wow. no, She had an amazing life. And that is the family tree of William Henry Theodore Durant.
1: Oh, my goodness, Denise. No. Yes. You you brought it today, man.
0: I tried.
1: That and, was awesome.
0: I, I was going to bring up one quick note. So, California voter registrations in the 1890s and such, they didn't have pictures of people back then, like they do now or whatever, but they would write a, de- a description of the person. So, Theodore was described as being 5'7 seven and a bare-complected, with blue eyes and brown hair, and he was an electrician. I found that fascinating. His father was described as being 5'7", with dark hair and blue eyes.
1: Huh. So... That's interesting. And we don't have any photographs of the parents, right? Um,
0: Let me see, because I might have a photograph of his mother, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Yes, I actually have a picture of his mother. I do not. And hold on. And I do actually, I do have a parent, pictures of both of his parents.
1: That's really cool.
0: So those will be on the website. There was an article um, in the paper. It had pictures of everybody involved.
1: That's so cool. Well, Denise, thank you for this awesome background. You yeah. have totally made my day. Woo-hoo. I'm glad.
0: <laughs> that was fun. First mini-sode done. And woo-hoo. come back. And, you know, we're so we're doing mini throughout the summer. And these are going to just be a lot quicker than they <laughs> normally are. And we'll have another one for you guys in a couple weeks.
1: Yay, because, you know, Zelda and Denise have a lot going on right now. And I'm just glad we can do even these little mini sods to keep it going. And we'll dig back in deep, you know, later on in the year.
0: Yeah, especially with uh, Zelda's move coming up very soon. Yeah, oh my god. Okay. Yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Murderous Roots. If you enjoyed our podcast, we hope that you'll subscribe and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and any suggestions you might have for future episodes. You can find us on most social media outlets like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok. You can also find us at murderousroots.com, that's M U R D E R O U S R O O T S.com, where you can find more materials related to the episodes that we just discussed.